0: This is my title, why it sucks sometimes to follow Jesus, and then why it doesn't. I don't know why I came up with that title. I was frustrated. We've been talking about suffering for a while now, and the suffering bit is getting a little bit old for some people who have to preach it over and over again. You're going... Why would it be getting old for me to preach it? Maybe because I don't suffer much for Jesus. Like the people in Peter's day, we're beginning to suffer. I think we're getting a little tiny taste of it as we take stands on certain moral grounds in this culture to get some pushback Now, you Christians, you think the earth was created by some God, not just a random chance of atoms. You Christians who see God's hand behind every single thing in the history of the world, you Christians who believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody came to the Father except by him, as he said are just unenlightened, kind of ignorant, intolerant fools. And here's the weird thing, is that the world of the Apostle Peter was just a bit farther along in that kind of attitude toward Christians than the one we live in now. So they were experiencing more suffering and more persecution than we do. Primarily because I'll say that the Bible was written in an R-rated or an X-rated culture. The Bible was written in a culture that knew a lot about sinning and sinning to the extreme. And so to try and bring that into our present day, I want you to think about the sins that haunt you. you've been raised in this culture it's largely a post-Christian culture and it's not the 1940s anymore we have things like school shootings that take place with a frightening regularity it seems that if America was ever a quote unquote Christian nation we are farther away from that now than we ever have been so you're brought up in an R-rated and an X-rated culture. You can find all the illicit, weird, degrading sex you want with a click of your mouse button or with just touching the computer pad. This is... An R rated and an X rated culture. And just so happens, the first letter that Peter wrote was written in a culture very similar. The good news is that whatever your past may be, however much sinning you have done, I don't care if you were raised as a missionary kid or if you were raised as a pastor's kid, you have got a sinful past. You do. It doesn't take long for young parents to realize that their beautiful little tiny babies have a sin nature. They want what they want when they want it, and they don't care about your schedule. I never had to teach my children how to be selfish with their toys. I never had to teach my children how to be protective of their food. These things just happen normally. So, maybe you didn't come to Jesus until you were 30 years old, and you did a lot of sinning, and you were really, really, really good at it. And maybe you just grew up in a little protective gospel bubble, But even if you did, you know what I'm talking about. Because you've got a sinful nature. You did some sinning. You grew up in a culture that is X-rated or R-rated. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ can handle your past no matter what it is. So let's go to the passage for today. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it through once, and then I'm going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to pick it apart because there's some interesting stuff here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Let's go back to verse 1. Okay, this should actually start out in a fairly easy way for you. Therefore, since... Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. We all know that Jesus was tortured for being a righteous man, but that he bore in his body the penalty of our sin, that he was crucified and cross, and he died and was buried. And so we understand this when the Bible says, okay, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. That makes sense. That makes sense. But then it says, because he who has suffered in his body, or she who has suffered in her body, is done with sin. Okay, did you get that? Then why am I still sinning? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Does that mean I haven't suffered enough? Is that what it means? Because I live in the USA and persecution hasn't even yet quite begun, just kind of starting? To rear its face? What what does this mean? Because, you know, I know people who have suffered due to sin. They were raised in alcoholic families by abusive mothers and fathers. And, you know, they go one or two ways those people can, right? Either they can go the same way as their parents end up committing the same sins as their fathers and mothers. In which case, this verse makes no sense at all. Or, sometimes they turn their lives around, right? And they say, I'm not tasting a drop of alcohol because I've seen the effects it had on my family. But is that what Peter is talking about? Because he who has suffered in his body, or she who has suffered in her body, is done with sin. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because it doesn't make any sense, because I know what happens when people suffer for the sake of sin. I think what Peter is saying here is that When you choose to suffer in your body, as opposed to taking the easy way out by doing the sins, it produces that kind of person who's done with sin. Let me give an example. Let's say that you're a guy who loves porn. And you're in a situation where you're all alone, no roommates are around, got a great internet connection, you've got a brand new computer, you're feeling kind of depressed, you're feeling kind of lonely, it's the holidays. Everybody's got somebody but you. And it hurts. It hurts badly. And so you're looking for a little relief. You're looking for a little excitement. If you don't turn on the computer and click on the porn, you suffer. And why are you suffering? for righteousness sake you are suffering because you're done with sin if you gave in you wouldn't be suffering at least temporarily except that's not the whole story we know that down the road the wages of sin is death But, for now, you can get out of a whole lot of suffering by clicking on the porn site. You can get out of a whole lot of immediate suffering by opening the bottle. You can get out of a whole lot of immediate suffering by using the drug. You can get out of a whole lot of immediate suffering by going and finding someone and engaging in activities that were only meant for people who were committed to one another in a marriage relationship. To me, in my experience, and I hope in yours, not sinning causes you to suffer And that's one reason why sometimes it sucks to follow Jesus. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's tough to say no to sin. It makes you suffer. Because you're done with sin... It makes you suffer. People who have come to Christ, who decided to follow Christ, choose a life of suffering. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and walk this way. If God so loved the world that he spared not his only begotten Son... What's that say about you? You have chosen to follow a Savior who was tortured, crucified, and died. What's that got to say for the way your life is going to be if not a life of suffering for righteousness' sake? Okay. And so Peter is saying, I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And what attitude did Jesus have? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not what I want, what you want. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to his death. That's the attitude that Peter is talking about you having. And he's using almost a military term here. He says, arm yourself. It really is a military term. You've got to prepare yourself because it's not going to be easy. I don't know how many of you ever watched Rambo movies, but they always had a scene in any of the Rambo movies where he is getting ready for battle. He laces up his boots. He puts on his bandana. You know, he straps that giant machete to his leg. He picks up this gun that looks so large it could blow down the walls of a bank. And you're thinking, oh, those bad guys are going to get it. They're going to get it. And what Peter is asking us to do is similar. He's saying, I want you to arm yourself with the attitude that Jesus have, although it's a whole lot humbler than Rambo. In some ways, it takes more guts, by far, to do what Jesus did. We've been talking about that all along. Let's go on. Exodus just verse 1. Verse 2, as a result, he or she does not live the rest of his or her earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. It's interesting that you know, he basically has all the party verses there, right? And then tax on detestable idolatry. Because a lot of those things really are idolatrous. You're looking for comfort, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for pleasure, you're looking for affirmation, you're looking for fulfillment in all these other things that only God can fill only God can provide that kind of meaning, that kind of fulfillment, that kind of joy, that kind of pleasure, that kind of purpose. You're not going to fight it in the rush of this crap. It's going to take you down. It satisfies for a moment. And then it leads to destruction. Back in Peter's day, they would have these parties where people would drink to excess. They'd be in the beautiful homes of these patrons and these social have these celebrations that would start off kind of with a great deal of decorum and then they would get more and more and more wild as time went on. Ended up with men pursuing slave women or boys, fights, Sometimes death. All these things were somehow tied to the veneration of false gods and false spirits, Bacchus, the wine god, etc. 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 And this was not a moral from a Greco-Roman point of view. This was just the way you went and had a good time. But from a Christian point of view, from a Jewish point of view even. No, we can't do that stuff. Jews and Christians condemn that kind of behavior as immoral. Which led to the next verse. Verse 4. Peter says, They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Okay, I don't know how many of you remember when you first became a Christian or when you first decided to take a stand for your Christian beliefs. I remember this very vividly. I remember being with my buddies in high school and the drinking that went along with it, you know, the swearing, you know, the gossip, the whatever. We would cut each other up verbally. Who could cut people up the... I guess the fastest was kind of a mark of your intellectual prowess. Then I became a Christian, and I didn't go out with those guys anymore because I didn't want to do that stuff anymore. What happened was a shock to me. All of a sudden, I stopped getting invited to people's houses to hang out, to do things. only because I wouldn't drink with them. Because if you're not drinking, and everybody else is drinking, you make people uncomfortable. If everybody else is smoking weed, and you're not smoking weed, back in my day, they wondered if you were a narc. And so the easiest thing to do is just to disinvite those people, because they made you uncomfortable. Like, what's wrong with Sears? He's gotten all Jesus freaky. Like, is he going to tell our parents, or is uh, what's going to happen here? And you know, Because creeped me out, man. And what I lost out on was true friendship in some ways. I mean, because when they got drunk, they t- opened up to each other. These boys cried about the girls who had dumped him, about the parents who were not understanding where they were. But, you know, we never talked about that stuff when you were sober. And by not going out with these guys, I became excluded from my own group of friends without even trying. I wasn't condemning anybody. I just didn't want to do that stuff anymore. And then came the snide remarks. Because I became the other guy. I became that weird Jesus dude. Strange. Sayers is bringing his Bible to work and he's reading it on his breaks. What is wrong with him? started wearing that cross around his neck. What's that about? Half my friends went to church with their parents, but it didn't matter. I became, now maybe, how many people here have experienced something like that with your group of friends? Raise your hand. Okay, look, Whoa, well, geez, holy cow, look at all those people. You've all experienced that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, so I'll shut up. But here's what Peter says. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Like, pray for your friends. Because this is no trifling matter. God doesn't like it when people mess with his kids. He's a good dad that way. And your friends are going to be judged for the way they treated you and others. And without the blood of Jesus, to plead their case, I mean, you should pray about this with tears in your eyes. Your friends need Jesus. Like, seriously. They don't need scum of the earth church. They need Jesus. But if you cannot bring yourself to tell your friends about Jesus, bring them to church. We'll tell them. You'll be implicated in the whole thing. You know, you'll get some attaboys from Christ for that. But seriously, talk to your friends. Tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church. Pray for them with tears. Because judgment is coming. Verse 6. This is a big one. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Let me read that again. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. What the heck are you talking about, Peter? Are you saying that the gospel is being preached to people after they're dead? Because in that case, I can take five years off. I doubt that's what he's saying because he just got done saying the opposite, right? What's he saying here? Peter's writing about 60 to 64 A.D., 30-some years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. People have heard the gospel for three decades or more. And one thing we know about the early church is they expected Jesus to return at any moment. But he hadn't come back. And some of those people who heard the gospel and accepted it had died. But they weren't raised to life again like Jesus So I'm imagining a scenario where non-Christians around the group of people that Peter's writing to are saying, what's the big deal with your Christianity thing? You died just like the rest of us. How does that hold any water at all? It doesn't. You guys are deluded. Jesus was a good teacher, but I don't know about the Savior of the world. And you know what? You're wasting your time being such goody two-shoes. Why don't you just come and party with us? That's what I think they're, they might be saying. So I think what Peter is talking about, he goes, of course the gospel was preached to those of us who died in the last three decades. But all of us are going to... Die in regard to the body, everybody dies. None of us gets out alive. Everybody dies. But Christians are alive, both now in the spirit, and forevermore. Now he's not going to go into the whole doctrine of the resurrection. Not talking about that here. So, what he's Saying is, doesn't matter what they say, we're all going to die. We're all judged in the body. We're all going to die. It's appointed once to a man or woman to die and then the judgment. That's written in Scripture. We know that. It's going to happen. But to be absent from the body, if you're a Christian, is to be present with the Lord. Immediately, in spirit, Christians are with the Lord in a special way, right after they die, that they don't even experience while they're here, even though they're with the Lord right here. Like, you're with the Lord right here. The Lord lives inside of you. If you're a believer, He is with you on a daily basis. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He was always with you. He's someone that you can count on all the time. It's wonderful. Nobody knows this like married people know this. That Jesus is with you all the time. Because you marry a person and you're going, oh, now someone is going to love me forever and ever. Amen. This is why I got married. You know, and then they don't. And you're going, what the hell's going on here? I got married so I could be loved. And Jesus is saying, look over here, look over here, look over here. Look at me. Look at me. I'm going to love you all the time. Both now and forevermore. This is one of those lessons you have to learn if you're going to have a successful marriage. Is that Jesus is the one who never leaves you, never forsakes you, who always loves you, come hell or high water. And you've got to give your spouse some slack because they're just a human person like you are. And they're going to need to run to Jesus when you're a jerk. That's the way it works. So let's uh, do a little review here. Why it sucks sometimes to follow Jesus. Number one, our leader was crucified after being tortured. Y'all got that, right, from verse one. Number two, we should, at the same attitude, be ready to suffer as well. At least suffering means that we've decided to be finished with sin, but it sucks because it's still suffering. You know, I went to a uh, graduation, continuation of Celebrate Recovery just uh, last month. Somebody uh, that I know had gone through this six-month group journey because this person was addicted to alcohol, to some drugs, to other stuff, and had found a group of people going through this whole thing together. reason they get together on a weekly basis for these six months to encourage each other is because it hurts so much to stop doing that stuff. It's suffering. But when they got up at this graduation ceremony thing and they would talk about how excited they were that they had six months of sobriety from alcohol, from drugs, from anger from sexual addiction, whatever it was. These people were so grateful to God because they already knew the destruction that was occurring in their lives, in their relationships, in their health, because of what they had done. They had the attitude, they're going to suffer like Jesus, and they were claiming the reward. Here's the deal. Six months down, the next six months was up and running. And they're already engaged in that kind of behavior, encouraging each other because they had to suffer. All right, number three. Why it's sometimes to follow Jesus? Now, we live for the will of God because we've already sinned enough. But this gets us in trouble with the people we know and love who have not sinned enough. It gets us in trouble. Anybody here ever try to confront someone who's in an addictive spiral? I have. I I, I remember I was at a conference. One of my favorite authors, a former Catholic priest named Brendan Manning, was speaking. He wrote uh, Abba's Child, The Ragamuffin Gospel, some other books, and he'd been an alcoholic himself. So I went up and I said, there's this person I love, I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to pray for this person because you know they're in this downward spiral, and I, and I, I'm not in a position where I can go and you know be the dad. I just I don't know what to do. What? How should I pray? And Brendan Manning said, "Pray that he hits bottom." I go, "Are you kidding me? Pray that he hits bottom? That sounds like a terrible prayer." But he goes, "No." That's the only way he's going to look up is when he hits the bottom. The frightening thing is, is that for some people, bottom is two steps below death. So I pray and got into trouble sometimes for trying to stop. That downward spiral. Number four, we're still going to die just like everybody else. That's why sometimes it sucks to follow Jesus. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel that our abusers will be judged by God, and we will live with God now and forever. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We will live with God both now and forever. And so, now I want to ask the question, why it sucks to not follow Jesus. You can answer it one of two ways. You can either say, this is why it sucks to not follow Jesus. Or you can answer the question, this is why it's wonderful to follow Jesus. Alright? I'm asking you this question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and give me some answers. I want you to answer why it does not suck to follow Jesus or why following Jesus is so great. And then I'll repeat whatever you say for the sake of the podcast. So, somebody, tell me why it does not suck to follow Jesus. Back there, sitting down, I can't see. Shame, miraculous healings happened. That's right. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, he does amazing things. Yeah. That's what you were going to say? Way to go. It has happened, hasn't it? Anybody else? Yeah. Lindsay? You're never alone. Amen to that. You're never alone. Go ahead. Unexplainable peace. In the middle of turmoil sometimes, right? Things would be swirling all around you, and you have no idea how you can keep your head in that storm. You're going, hmm, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Your goals are clear. So Jesus actually has some input in your life through the Scriptures, maybe through trusted counselors and friends in the body of Christ, maybe just in your heart and mind. You know the way you're supposed to go. Your life has purpose and direction because of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Matt? Freedom from guilt and shame. Oh my God. If this was any other kind of church, people are going, Amen, brother, to that one. Freedom from guilt and shame. Seriously, that is so huge. Because we all mess up in a variety of ways. And then to know that Jesus paid the penalty for it. And we don't have to wallow in it. That we can say, thank you. Get up. Go on. It's not what you've done, it's what you're gonna do next that he's concerned about. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. For moments like right now, attaboy a boy, Chris. tearing up there a little bit, aren't you? Yeah. Your heart is bigger than you are. Somebody else. Yeah, Chris. When you trust him, he follows through. I have never, ever been let down by Jesus. I've got some problems with this timing. <laughs> <laughs> On occasion. But I have never, ever been let down by Jesus. That's true. Huh? <laughs> Amen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you've heard me say this before, but everybody talks about 1159 God. I'm going like, well, I, my God is like 1230, one o'clock. It's like, I'm dead. Anybody else? Yeah. Say that again. He speaks to you when you're without hope. And does that mean, Melissa, to give you hope? To give you a reason to continue and to go on? Amen. He does. He does. In your darkest hour, he will plop something down. It's just just really incredible. That's miraculous, kind of like what Shane was saying. Okay, go ahead. A purpose to live. Amen. Amen. Because, uh, yeah, we are. Your friends become your brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's a great transition, actually. Is it, It's why it does not suck to follow Jesus, because your friends, you know, and let's face it. Friends, you've got to put on a bit of a front for, right? You've got to be nice. You've got to... You know, if they do something for you, you do something for them. There's this uh, equality thing. But brothers and sisters, sometimes you have nothing to give and your brothers and sisters come around you and then don't expect anything in return and vice versa. I would agree. That's great. Yeah. Anybody else? Go ahead. Living without fear. Right. That's right. Living without fear. I would say that fear may be the single greatest deterrent to living a godly life. You're afraid. You're afraid of what following Jesus is going to do to you. I've got a story I'll read in a couple of weeks, but that actually is the theme of the story, is that the non-Christians were amazed at the Christian's lack of fear. I can tell you that if you read the stories of the great martyrs of the faith, people were incredulous about how they would even go singing to their deaths as they're being burned alive. They didn't care because they knew God and they understood that this life is temporary. They had already given up everything else for Christ. I read a story uh, preparing for the sermon about Hindus in India who were going to be baptized. And their prayer as they went down in the water and came up was something like, Jesus, I will live for you, and Jesus, I will die for you. Because they knew that was a distinct possibility, and they hold their lives very lightly. Anybody else? Dealing with death isn't so dark and empty. Wow, that's so true. That is so true. I mean, I'm a pastor, I've done funerals. The look in people's faces when they have no faith is just devastating to me. And I want to come alongside and say, I know it's tough, I know it's terrible, but there's more to life than just this. Without that hope, yeah, they're in a very, very dark place. One person said this morning, I don't know how you handle something like what happened at Arapahoe High School without a hope in Jesus. I don't see how you make it through the next day. This has been great, you guys. It's been great. We're going to have folks back over here in the prayer room, if you'd like to be prayed for. There's a situation, maybe people that you know who need Jesus. If you'd like to pray for people, Do you like uh, to pray for the suffering that you're going through right now and just trying to follow Jesus? Then go back and get prayed for. And and don't be embarrassed, please. Don't be embarrassed. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If you humble yourself and ask for help, these are people just like you. These are your friends. These are your family, is what Leonor was saying. We, We get ourselves, we pray for each other. Let us pray for you and the people you love and the situations you find yourself in. I'll close this down right now, and then you can go over there if you want. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the words that you gave your servant Peter to write down for us, even a couple thousand years later. Bring them to our hearts and our minds exactly when we need them.